You may be seated. Can you hear me? Am I on? I'll slide it up a little. Can you hear me now? Oh, fantastic. All right, well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Oh, you didn't make me ask twice. I don't have to talk to anybody's parents today. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, good morning. I'm Sean. I'm the associate pastor here, and I am so honored and so blessed to be here in front of you today, um, getting to um, just join the, join with one another in the Word of God. Um, but before I start, um, Jeff, you weren't expecting this, <laughs> but you said some very nice things about me last week, so now it's <laughs> my turn. <laughs> All right. Uh, see, that's what happens when you share a pulpit, right? Um, but uh, I just want to say um, that, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, um, Jeff, you and Pearl have been such a blessing to our family, and uh, we couldn't have imagined in a million years ever being a part of a church that is so that strives so hard in the spirit of God to be biblical. Um, and God really, through you, um, just offered us such a great opportunity to get to be part of that. And your friendship, your encouragement, um, not just to me, but to my wife, um, to both of you and your family. We love y'all. Um, and we love doing ministry with you, and we look forward to doing, by the grace of God, many years more ministry together. Um, so, okay, much of stuff's over. All right, um, pardon me one moment. Okay, so I bet you have no idea where we're going to be in the Bible this morning. Nobody's going to venture a guess. Romans. All right, well, someone's been paying attention in class. Yeah, we're going to be in Romans. Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 16. And I'm not lying to you this week. We're going to finish. We are going to finish Romans this week. Why? Because we're going to be picking up in verse 21, and we're going to be reading through the end to verse 27, and my friends, that will be the end of Romans, at least for now, for 116 Bible Church. Where to next? Not sure yet, but we'll figure it out together. Um, so Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 21, I'll give you just a moment to find that. Romans 16, beginning in verse 21. And if you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is Romans 16, verse 21. And the word of God says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If your version doesn't have that, that's okay, don't panic. It's probably at the bottom of the page. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, obedience to the faith, to God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, God, to just... Lord, this is your word. God, this is your... These are your very words. God, you didn't have to communicate with us when we left the garden, when we disobeyed you, and were cast out of your presence, but God, you communicated with us. God, you condescended to us. Not just in your word, but in your son. Who was the very focal point of your word that we just read. God, we are so quick 
to be so flippant about this, this reality. To treat it so casually and to take it for granted. And Lord, we pray this morning, here and now, we would not do that. But Lord, that we would see your beauty, your grace, your truth, your holiness, your love, your mercy, your justice, and your righteousness in every word, in every letter, in every stroke of a pen. Because it's beautiful. And it's beautiful because it's from you. We love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so where have we been so far? Well, so far we've been on quite a journey through the book of Romans. We started with um, really Paul's um, introduction and um, revealing his intentions behind the writing of this letter to the church in Rome. Remember, a church um, that he knew very few people in and a church that he really only knew by the majority by reputation because he hadn't been to Rome. He didn't plant that church. Um, but he wanted to, he greeted them as, as brothers and sisters of Christ. And he wanted to ensure that what they understood about the gospel what was, is what was actually intended in the gospel. And that what they received was the biblical Christ and not a counterfeit Christ. And even at, at this early point in the, in, in the church, there was a multitude of false Christ being proclaimed. And because of the false Christ that were being proclaimed, um, there was also a multitude of heresies, really, that were coming about. There were those who preached that the predominant, um, there were two predominant heresies, the first one being that Christ didn't actually bodily, physically rise from the dead, but it was a spiritual resurrection. Um, another another big heresy was that Christ himself wasn't actually fully man. He was fully God, but he wasn't fully man. Um, because there was this, um, this dichotomy in the Greek mind that what was spiritual was good and what was physical was evil. So in, this, in their attempt to save Jesus... From the embarrassment of being physical and therefore somehow touched by evil, um, they denied his humanity, but accepted his divinity. And then there was um, the Judaizing heresy, which was you had to come to faith uh, in Christ through the path of Judaism, and so you had to submit to circumcision and the however many laws it was, six hundred and something. Um, but and that was another big heresy, and a lot of these were rampant in the church, and we see some of them being addressed elsewhere in Paul's letters, in John's letters, um, and even in Peter's letters. But the but what Paul is expressing in this letter was just an eschewing of all of that, and a, and a recapitulation, a re-revelation, a reminder of the biblical Christ. And that was, that was, not just was important, that is important. Because if you don't get Christ right, you don't have Christianity. If the Christ you serve is a false Christ, then the Christ you serve can't save you. And that's, that's Paul's main drive here, is to show the biblical Christ, and, but to also show that in this Christ, in this one true biblical Christ, there is a unity of God's people that cannot be destroyed. That these people from various and multiple backgrounds, whether Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free, whether male or female, are now one people in Christ. And that has been a that has been a big focus on a lot of our 
sermons going through Romans, and praise God for that. And um, then Paul transitions into, um, really into a little bit of his own ministry, his own past, his own credentials, um, and even future plans to come and visit Rome. And if you recall, that's because, well, he wants to take the gospel to Spain. And, uh, you know, the his current headquarters, um, base of operations in Corinth is a little too far um, to uh, really be that launching point into Spain. So um, he's kind of appealing to them to be that base for him as he goes um, westward into Spain. And then, and then from there we have a bunch of uh, commendations and greetings. And then an exhortation to avoid divisive persons in the church. Um, a problem which was not unique to the first century church, but pervades even to this day. And is a, a, a warning that we should all heed. Um, beware of those divisive persons. And if you recall, the divisive person is not the one who speaks the truth. The divisive person is the one who comes into the church preaching a false teaching or bringing heresy. That is the divisive person. And we are often too quick to jump on those who are combating these false teachings with the truth uh, when that is not uh, the pattern we see laid out in Scripture. And then that brings us to um, our final passage in Romans today. Which is greetings, um, no, no longer greetings to friends in Rome, but greetings from Paul and his friends. Um, and then a final benediction to the church in Rome. And as always, we are going to work verse by verse. Um, and we are just going to see what the Lord has in store. So verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, they greet you. Now, Timothy, that is should be a very familiar name. Who's Timothy? Timothy is Paul's, really Paul's number one protege. Um, he was one that uh, Paul raised up, um, and he um, really kind of, um, after training him um, and uh, for quite a while, um, really left him um, to oversee the churches in Ephesus, or the church in Ephesus, while Paul went elsewhere to plant another church. And so we have um, Timothy, who is right now in Corinth with uh, Paul as he's writing this letter and being referred to as a fellow worker, um, and Lucius and Jason, and so Sipiter, my countrymen, greet you. Uh, and my countrymen, your translation may say, my kinsmen. Um, and that's very, very similar to um, something that was said earlier in the letter. I mean, it's the exact same phrase. Uh, could mean that these were actual relatives of Paul, but probably most likely means that um, they were just fellow Jewish believers um, who were accompanying Paul, um, many of whom actually um, joined him um, on this uh, second missionary journey that he was on. And that's the one where he spent a lot of time in Corinth. Um, so we have this greeting from a bunch of uh, fellow workers. Some of the names these people in Rome, or a few in Rome may have recognized. Some maybe not. Um, but just really a greeting. And really there's, a, there's an importance here to this idea of being, of Timothy rather, being referred to as a fellow worker by Paul. I mean, kind of, we're talking about Paul here. Like the the last of the appointed apostles, and he's referring to this to this young guy as his fellow worker. And this guy he's this guy he's pouring into, this guy he's discipling, this guy he's training up to take his place in a certain area before he moves on. And this idea of this fellow worker, this co-laborer is important because it reminds us that the gospel the gospel mission is a work it is something to be done it is something to be accomplished keeping in mind that we are not the ones who change lives we're not the ones 
who save souls. We're not the ones who give the increase. But we go out into the field and we plant and we water and we harvest. And it was God who gives the increase. This, this fellow worker idea should stick like a splinter in your mind. I can't get comfortable in Christianity. I can't get complacent in Christianity. Because I am called not as a stick and waiter, but as a go and doer. I have been called out into the fields because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we have been called out as the church, as individual believers and as a church corporately, to go. I'm not saying you have to go halfway around the world. Maybe your going looks like going to work. Maybe your going looks like going to school and carrying the gospel with you. Maybe that's what your going looks like. Maybe that's what you're going and doing. Looks like it doesn't have to. You don't have to travel halfway around the world to do gospel work when the biggest mission field is your own backyard. So many, so many times do I grew up SBC, so and that's Southern Baptist Convention. If you're not if you're not current and hip on all the denominational lingo, um, but I grew up SBC, and there is a big problem in the SBC of young people who think that the only way they can do God's work is by going to some other country somewhere else and running a VBS for a week or whatever. And then taking that and using that, maybe not consciously by thinking these words specifically, but by using this that as a justification for why I can relax and not do anything at home. And I dare say that's probably not a problem exclusive to the Southern Baptist Convention. That is probably a problem that is rampant throughout the church globally. Is this idea that I can go I can go around the world to share the gospel with a complete stranger and use that to justify my refusal to go across the street and share it with my mother. And friends, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm not excluded from that. I also have neglected the labor part of being a co-laborer for the gospel. But the point here is that we are to go and to do, and we can go and do confidently, boldly, and obediently because we know we're not going and doing alone. We go with we go with the support of the church and we go with the power of God and the Holy Spirit upon us. Again, remember, our job, biblical success, is gospel faithfulness. It's not numbers oriented. You don't have to persuade and guilt trip and do whatever you can do to see a decision made. You don't have to do that. You go and you go with the gospel and you go faithfully and you go preaching that same gospel. And you do so not with this idea or this attitude that I'm just going to say the words and whatever will be, will be. Because that's also something. But you go in love. And you go in humble obedience. And you go because you genuinely care about the, the lives and the souls of the person you're talking to. Of the people you are addressing. Of the ones to whom you are proclaiming the gospel. And there are many ways to do that. One way that um, 
is uh, very, um, very not very common. I almost said common, but uh, one way that uh, is done in this church is um, the evangelism outreach that happens every Friday night, led by Brother Ivan, where they go out to populated centers, going out where people are, and proclaiming the gospel loudly and boldly on the street. That's that's a great way. That's a fantastic way. But friends, that's just one way. That's just one way. God has put people in your life, around your family, for you to interact with, not just so you can swap recipes and talk about your favorite sports team. But God has placed those people in your life for you to reflect His light into their lives. And friends, you can't do that if you keep your mouth closed about the most important thing about you. We can't do that if we get tight-lipped and nervous and just kind of clam up when the subject of God or religion, or what have you, pops up. We need to be co-laborers. We need to be fellow workers. And this tradition of working in the gospel, for the gospel, to the gospel, this tradition is one we can share with Paul, and with Timothy, and with Titus, and with James, and John, and Luke, and Mark, Matthew this is a tradition that God himself has planted in the church it's something he himself started why would we not participate in this tradition again friends I'm from the SBC tradition is huge in the SBC you've got you've got the churches who have done the same thing the exact same way for 150 years and that's why there's only five of them left. But this tradition, which is most important, started by God himself, we are so quick to neglect or to relegate to somebody else, somebody who's better suited for that. Or to put it on the shoulders of just the leaders and say, well, that's what they get paid for. No, this is a gospel call to all believers everywhere. You go and you do the gospel. And you don't do that, you don't do that apart from words. As that, that old saying goes, Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. That's dumb. Preach the gospel always and use words. Both and. Live the gospel. Preach the gospel. Don't divorce the two. But be a co-laborer with Paul and with Timothy and with Christ. And go and do the gospel. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Some of you just kind of panicked a little. Some of you just got, <gasps> what? I thought Paul wrote this letter. Who's Tertius? Who's this guy? What's he doing in here? Why is he saying that? Chill. Everybody did this me. Take a deep breath. And let it out. Tertius had a job to do. And this guy, he was what's known as an amanuensis. That's a fancy Greek word that basically means scribe. He wrote stuff. He wrote stuff for a living. Because he was one of about 7% of the Roman population who was literate. So being able to read and write, that was, that was a money-making business. You could do well if you could read and write. So, Tertius 
when it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, he's not saying, these words are mine. He's saying, and if, you're, if you have a, uh, a newer translation, it'll probably add the word, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter. So Paul said the words, I, Tertius, scribbled them on a piece of paper. That's what that means. Can you breathe a little bit easier now? You not, not got that typhus in your chest anymore? That's good. That's good. That's good. That's what I'm here for, friends. That's what I'm here for. So I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, this actually was very uncommon. It was very uncommon for a scribe to actually add anything to a letter. And why was that uncommon? Because that's something what they were getting paid to do. And in fact, they were probably writing a letter for someone who was just paying them and two people they didn't know. So there would be no reason for them to add this little, by the way, I, little little ad in the middle of this letter. By the way, I Tertius, if you have any writing needs, call me at whatever. They didn't have phones. Don't know why you try to call them, but that's fine. So, but he, what he's saying here is, I Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. This wasn't just somebody that Paul hired. And remember, as educated as Paul was, Paul had an eye problem. He had a sight problem. He had difficulty seeing. And in many of his other letters, you would see, um, (laughs) it's actually pointed out, it said, I, Paul, uh, write this with my own hand, greet you. Um, And it was, there's a reference to big letters. Um, and that's because he had a sight problem. He had difficulty seeing, and so obviously he had difficulty reading and writing. So he had people, when he received letters, read them to him, and when he wrote letters, write them for him. But this Tertius clearly wasn't just somebody who was paid by Paul to write this letter. On the contrary, he's greeting this church in the Lord. Now, why would Tertius do that? Well, The obvious answer is that he was a believer. This man who had a skill that was so rare in the first century church as to be able to read and write was brought to faith. Was brought to faith in Christ. And it doesn't stop there. We see in this list of Paul's companions who are greeting the church in Rome, we see here many people, more than just Tertius, who have not just skills or not just a gift, but clearly are well off. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about um, at a time when wealth was extremely uncommon and when the ability to read and write was extremely uncommon, we're seeing here that God, even, even in these closing remarks, we see God illustrating the pulling together of multiple kinds of people and gathering them under the banner of Christ and making them family. That's what we're seeing here. And this is why we we are so quick. And, and I mentioned this the last time when we went over to the greetings to the Roman saints. We are so quick to just jump over these things. When we see a long list of names, we're so, we're so quick to just speed through it as fast as we can or skip it entirely. Forgetting that that too is included in the word of God. And he doesn't do so for no reason. He's not arbitrary in what he has included in his word, but he has intentionally got the the one true mind from whom flows everything that exists with perfect intentionality has not added a list of names to a book 
because he had nothing better to do. On the contrary, he has included this because it either because it communicates something about his people and about himself. We cannot take that for granted. We cannot go through these lists as fast as we can just because they're boring or we can't pronounce them or because these are people who are long since dead and therefore have no relevance to us today. No, because God is either, he is either through that list of names, he's either dictating or illustrating something about you and me as his children and something about himself as our God. And we need to pay attention. So verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. This is another example. We have here a man by the name of Gaius, who was mentioned elsewhere um, in other of Paul's letters. But Paul is saying, he's not just he's not just housing me. He's housing the whole church. What does that mean? This guy had a big house. What does a big house mean? The dude had money. And because he was a because God had gifted him in this area of finances, he turned around and he used that for the glory of God and the service of his people. What does God gifted you with? What has God blessed you with that you can use for the service of God by serving his people? But you are instead holding on to tenaciously, greedily, and miserly. What has God blessed you with that should be used for the furthering of his kingdom rather than hoarded for the sake of your own? Guys here who has a big house because he has a lot of money, because God has so blessed him, use that, what God had given him, to bless the church. And by blessing the church, blessing God, God, through his people. So Gaius hosted Paul and the church, and is also greeting the church in Rome, and Erastus, the treasurer of the city, your translation may say something a little bit different. Greets you and Cortus, a brother. Now, Erastus is one of the few people. This is actually a very uncommon name, Greek name, uh, but very uncommon uh, in this place at this time. It was it was an unusual name. We actually found this one. This 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 isn't sermon. This is a little bit extra. It's for free. Um, but we've actually found. A stone, like a big block stone that was used in building and in making buildings. We found an inscription regarding this individual. I Erastus have laid the, have laid this stone at my own expense for the city. So we see somebody here um, who is a government official and immediately I can I can almost hear in the back of in, in, in the back of your mind, oh there's some bells. He works for the government. That's state stuff. We Christians, we don't touch that. see a government official saved, called by God, and using his post, his governmental post, and the benefits it offers him for the service of God and his people. Now, obviously, there are going to be times, there are going to be situations, there are going to be circumstances where your employer may force you to choose between your religious convictions 
and your opponent. But what we have here in Erastus, who is archaeologically and historically documented as an authentic person, a real being who lived and worked in the government, somebody who was both employed by the state, but, but serving God and the church. That's what we have here. We have an example that, I mean, and you want to talk about wicked governments? We don't know anything about wicked governments when you talk about the Roman Empire. You want to talk about wicked governments? Periodically, throughout church history, throughout the Roman Empire, it was imperial policy to persecute Christians on sight. Put them to death instantly. No trial, nothing. And yet we have somebody here serving God, working in the government, but using those benefits for the furthering of God's kingdom, not for the sake of love. You don't have you don't have to be you don't have to choose between serving God and serving your country most of the time. You can work for your government and serve the living God. But obviously should there ever come a time when your government has so turned its back on God that your conviction is that to continue in the employ of your government is sin, you need to cut ties. Absolutely agree with that 100%. What we're just seeing here is that that's not always the case. When you become a Christian, it's not hands off the state. Why? Because as Jeff has so often said, Christ's lordship is not secluded, it's not isolated to the church, but Christ is Lord means Christ is Lord over all. It means Christ reigns over governments. It means Christ reigns over nations. Christ reigns over states, cities, provinces, regions, whatever. Wherever it is, Christ reigns as Lord. That's who he is. He is the Lord. And we have nothing to fear because the one who reigns is the one we serve. So when it's the will of the state or the will of God, for the Christian it's a no-brainer. We choose the will of God. And if it costs us, it costs us. Now, obviously that's easier said than done. I get that. I know that. But that's what Christ as Lord looks like. It looks like giving up the things that I have so become so comfortable with and grown so accustomed to these blessings that I thought would always be here and have taken for granted when they disappear and persecution comes or the time for decision making comes. We choose to obey anyways. Even when it gets hard. Even when it hurts. Even when it... Friends, there's, if you haven't been there yet, you probably will be. There's going to come a day where you're going to wake up and before you even open your eyes... Your silent prayer is going to be, Oh God, please let it all have been just a bad dream. But then you're going to open your eyes and be reminded that the nightmare was all too real. And it's going to be in those moments 
when obedience to Christ is going to be more important than ever. And you're going to feel like you're alone. You're going to feel like he's not there or he's not listening or he just doesn't care. But my friends, when you feel that way, I guarantee you, Christian, in those moments, your father is closer than he's ever been in your life. Because he's going to be the one who's going to get you up. He's going to be the one who's going to keep you moving. You're going to get through the day, you're going to go go back to bed, and you're going to wonder how you were ever able to do any of it. When getting out of bed that morning seemed like the most insurmountable, unclimbable mountain you've ever faced. When that time comes, your Father, who loves you, who showed His love for you in sending His very own Son to die for you, He's right there. He's holding you up. And it is his it is his own grace that is keeping you from falling deeper into the pit of despair to the point where you will never return. That's his grace. And when that time comes, that's where he'll be. Right there next to you, holding you up and keeping you going. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Again, your translation may not have that in the main text. It might be relegated to a footnote at the bottom of the page. That's okay. It's just a, it's just a difference uh, of what manuscripts we're using when we're translating the Word of God. It's okay. Just, just like I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, nothing, nothing to worry yourself about. You can breathe easy. If your if your translation doesn't have it, it's at the bottom of the page. Um, regardless whether it's there, whether it's not, it doesn't add. It doesn't take away anything from the Word of God. Is there anything that's said in verse twenty four that you don't see in verse twenty at the end of verse twenty? No. Is there anything that's said in verse twenty one that goes against or seems to contradict anything that's come before it? No. Why? Because we know it's all about Jesus. Paul has been very explicit, very clear. It's all about Jesus. So, verse 25. Now to him, we might take 25 through 27 as a chunk just because it's so good. And it's basically one sentence. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest or clear or known, as your translation may say, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures or the scriptures of the prophets, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now, that's a lot. That little paragraph, there is so much in that. How do you cover it all? Well, you don't. You just don't have the time. But you try, so we're going to try. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying there? He's, he's stopping. He's given exhortations. He's given encouragements. And now he's saying to him, if your, if your translation does this, the H, the him, is probably capitalized. So, talking about God here, to him who is able to establish you, who is able to confirm you, who is able to strengthen you, 
according to my gospel. Now, you'll meet, you'll meet some people, some, some people in the church, who will use this verse, and they'll say, see, Paul's gospel was different than Jesus' gospel. Whoa, you've missed the whole point of the book. The whole point. No. What is Paul saying here? What Paul is doing is, rather than using the phrase, the gospel of Christ, which he used in the beginning of the book, and periodically throughout, he's now tying the gospel of Christ to himself. What's he saying? He's saying, my gospel, my good news, to him who is able to establish you according to the good news of Jesus Christ that is so known, so revealed, so personal and so intimate to me, that it's mine. And just as if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, this gospel, this gospel of Christ, is, should be so known, should be so personal, should be so revealed and so intimate to you, that it's your gospel. But it's your good news. What does that mean? It's the very thing I hold on to when everything else disappears. It's the very thing I hold on to when I've got nothing left. When all around my soul gives away, I still have my gospel. I still have my Christ who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. This and here is not is not my gospel and also the preaching of Jesus Christ. What we have here is it's being used to identify one with the other. You have my gospel, you have the preaching of Jesus Christ, and Paul is saying one and the same. Who is able to establish you according to my gospel which is the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. So this idea of mystery, we tend to think of as something that, something that we just don't know. But in the scriptures, the word mystery is used in a different way. It's used to talk about something that that was re was revealed at one time verbally but was kind of hidden um, so specifically what we're talking about here is um, is the mystery of salvation the thing into which angels long to peer we're talking about here um, this this uh, this mystery that in the Old Testament scriptures was okay is God is going to save Israel, but not just Israel. Through Israel, he's going to save the world. What's that going to look like? How's that? Like, like, like we get what you're saying, but how's that going to be accomplished? And what Paul is saying here is that this mystery revealed in the Old, or this mystery expressed in the Old Testament is now revealed and answered in the New Testament. And that's what he's saying here. This, this mystery that was kept secret since the world began, I mean, we're talking Genesis 3 here, folks. Since the world began, when God said to God said uh, that the son that the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent and the serpent was going to bruise his heel, and everybody was like, What does that mean? Paul's saying here, the answer has been given. And that answer has been given in Jesus Christ. So this this mystery that has been kept secret since the world began has now been made manifest. And it was made manifest by the prophetic scriptures or the scriptures of the prophets or the writings of the prophets, as your translation may say, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. So this mystery, the revealing of this mystery, the answering of the question, how is this going to be done? What's this going to look like? 
revealed in this, revealed or uh, provided in the scriptures, and in those scriptures being carried across the Roman Empire to all kinds of people, and even to our own very day, continuing to be carried across the rest of the world in languages that these people can understand. That is how this mystery is being made manifest. And is in these scriptures going out into the world, being made known to all nations, and according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to faith. That's the fulfillment of the mystery. That's the response to the mystery. What's the answer? Jesus Christ. What's your response? Obedience. Obedience by faith. That's it. There's nothing more to it. That's our, that's, the mystery was expressed, the mystery was revealed, and now we are to respond. And the only right and true and appropriate response is obedience. And then Paul closes to God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ, forever. You can actually play with this wording a little bit because it's a little ambiguous. Um, I personally like to the wise God be glory through Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because this whole plan that Paul has laid out in Romans. Everything he said from what the gospel is to what the gospel to what the gospel effect in your life looks like to the unity of the church in Christ all of it all of it belongs to God. It is from God, it is for God, and it is to God. And our only response is obedience. And even that is from God. So, to God alone be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And this is, in the very truest sense of the word, a benediction. And, as I have come to life to do, I am going to pray this benediction over you, church. So, if you would please put your hands out to receive it. I'll place my hands up to give it. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen.